<sighs> weekend! It's gonna be the weekend. I'm looking forward to this weekend. Got stuff to do. Oh, hey, what's guys? What's what's going on? What, what brings you here? What can I do for you? I'm not really up to anything. I was uh yesterday. I see yesterday I went. I didn't go anywhere, but I did DoorDash some some tacos from this taco place that I that I live next to, but I never had. So I'm like, oh, I should try the things in my area a little bit more. You know, that's cool. And then I'm going to get drunk and watch stupid anime. That's always a good time. And it was. It was great. Oh. Oh, I just remembered. This is a Royals podcast. We have to talk about the Kansas City Royals. Oh. Okay. <clears throat> Let's see. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to the Royal Deluxe Podcast, bringing you breaking news and analysis of the Kansas City Royals every Monday and Friday as part of the Fans First Sports Network. I'm Lux, or at least that's what I keep telling people. And you can follow me on Twitter at the MF and KC to un to learn more about my cool adventures with DoorDashing Street Tacos, or the podcast at Royal Deluxe Pod for more incredibly insightful analysis of Royals baseball. Thank you for listening. That's what a lot of people feel right now, because the Royals, in the last in the time since we've last spoken, have uh, not been playing very good baseball. They did win a game, though. They did win a game, and man, let me tell you, after I did the podcast on Monday, the Royals played Monday night, and they won. They won by a score of 9-5 to against the Toronto Blue Jays, and it was fantastic. Brady Singer took the mound, and it was exactly what we wanted. I mean, it wasn't like an amazing game from Singer, and we'll talk about this a little bit more um, in a bit, but we're thinking, okay, you know, offense hasn't come alive in the, in the first series, but look, it's going to get better and singers taking the mound. So this, this is the game. This is when we get our first win. That's at least what I was thinking. And it totally happened. So that's cool. And then the Royals lost the next three games on Tuesday. They lost by a score of one to four. On Wednesday, they lost by a score of 0-3, to three, so another scoreless game. And then they lost on Thursday by a score of 3-6. to six. That brings their overall record to 1-6 and six on the season. That is tied for the worst in baseball. Only tied with the Washington Nationals, who were the worst team in baseball last year. The Washington Nationals are a team that is paying Patrick Corbin a large sum of money to suck total ass. Although I guess that's also what the Royals are doing. They're paying Hunter Dozier a large, not as large as as Patrick Corbin, but still a uh an unnecessarily large sum of money to suck total ass. So maybe we are just like the Washington Nationals. That's America. <laughs> now, before I actually talk about the Royals, and this might be a weird place to cut this in because I actually completely forgot about doing this when recording live, but it should be mentioned that there were a couple of updates to the roster and I guess the management as well. Manager Matt Quattrero 
is out with COVID. He got COVID. I don't know. That's a thing. You can still get COVID these days. That's cool. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. He's just out. And I don't know how, how long he's going to be out. I don't know when he's going to get back or anything like that. So it's just... Yeah. But I hope... Uh, I wish him a, a, a good recovery. A, a quick recovery. Because, you know, we haven't really gotten to know Manager Q all that well. So it's really unfortunate that <laughs> as the team is really skidding into oblivion so early, the manager is just nowhere to be found. And he hasn't had any chance to really uh i don't know explain anything for himself so yeah woof and also there was a bit of a roster update kyle isbell is out for a few days as he has parental matters to take care of his wife is expecting a child they are going to deliver that and that's pretty cool congratulations to mr isbell and you know what mr isbell will be missed because i think that he's someone who's actually had a pretty decent start to the season i know he doesn't have like an amazing slash line or anything but he's someone who's been getting on base or hitting somewhat reliably compared to everyone else on the roster at least and he's been doing really really well in the outfield i'm really enjoying his outfield defense and credit where it's due to royals management because they have been giving him opportunities this is something that we've been you know complaining about the royals not doing for the last two years where which is not giving kyle isbell any opportunity to establish himself as a starting player. It's like the Royals just kind of saw it as a bygone conclusion that Kyle Isbell is not very good, so they just didn't give him very many chances to actually play. But no, this season so far, Kyle Isbell has been in the lineup every single game. And what really surprises me is that he's taken center field even over Jackie Bradley Jr. I really thought that when they got Jackie Bradley Jr., they were just going to have him be like the center fielder for whenever he's in the lineup, be it starting at like two games a week or just coming in as a late inning guy. But no, even when the Royals are slotting JBJ into the lineup, they're still giving Kyle Isbell center field. I really like that. I did not expect that, but I'm glad they're doing that. There's still no telling if Kyle Isbell is the future, but it's really cool that they're finally giving him an opportunity to let him decide that for himself or for everybody else. So definitely, um, you know, congratulations on the big life advancement to Mr. Isbell. Hope he gets back soon and hope that he really um, hits the ground running because now he's got more people to play for. So anyway, in the meantime, while Isbell is tending to that, we've got Nick Prado up in the majors, which makes a lot of sense. Nick Prado was, to some people, a surprising uh, option out of spring training, so he's back up, and uh, we'll just kind of see uh, what happens next. Yeah, I don't know if the Royals plan on keeping Nick Prado up in the majors, just, you know, in general, or if he'll be sent back down when Isbell comes back. We will have to see. So very obviously, there is not a lot of very positive things to mention with the Royals, but hey, Remember that, that segment I had last episode? Let's do it again. Here's the Royal Deluxe moment. Shallow left center field, and it will be caught by Bobby Witt Jr. Bobby Witt Jr. came out of nowhere. 
And a diving play away from the infield. For as mixed of a bag as Bobby Witt Jr. has been this season and perhaps his major league career to this point, he made an absolutely amazing catch on, which did, which was this, this was on Tuesday. He ran from, from shorts, from the regular shortstop position all the way into... I don't even know if you can call it shallow left center field or left center field. Like it was just straight up center field and dove out. He laid out to rob George Springer of a bloop single or maybe it was a bloop double. Honestly, it was insane. How did he cover that much ground? How did he how did he even track the ball? Like that is such an unnatural play for a shortstop to make it. You look at it. and It's like like like. Maybe it's not as pretty or as flashy of a play as, you know, just a good outfield dive or even just a good shortstop dive. But still, like, just what he has to do on this play is so abnormal for a shortstop that you it really reminds you of why he is held in such high regard as an athlete. Why everyone all over baseball is like, this guy is going to be one of the best players in the entire sport. And it's why the Royals will not give up on letting him play shortstop until, I don't know, late into the season, I think. There are people who are already giving up on him, to, saying that he already needs to be moved off of shortstop this season. I've even seen some people say that he needs to be optioned to AAA, which I can't believe we're having this argument again. This was the same pe- this, this was a, like we, we argued about this last season, and it was stupid last season. So it's even more stupid this season. But he does stuff like that that makes you think, okay, he 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 does d- deserve more of a chance, I think. There is really something there. And hey, I don't know, if push comes to shove and he really does get moved off of shortstop, he just showed right there. He could probably play a really good center field, kind of like Jazz Chisholm Jr. Oh, wait, Jazz Chisholm Jr. made like the worst play of the season so far. Oops. I'm sorry, Jazz. I love you. So now that the Royals have a full week of games under their belt, it's a little bit easier to see who's doing well and who's not doing well. And this is especially the case with the pitching staff because the pitching, we've gotten a, we got a full pass for the starting rotation and we've seen pretty much everybody out of the bullpen, uh, I think multiple times at this point. So we can kind of get an idea of like how this team is looking so far uh, in that regard. And the starting rotation looks all right. It looks pretty good. I don't know if it's like a convincingly good, but hey, Zach Greinke has been off to a really good start this season. He's pitched two games. Um, uh, last time he pitched, it was on Wednesday. He pitched six innings, which is unusual for him. And it was only on 77 pitches. Like, I think if he was maybe built up more, he could have gone further. He could have thrown seven Maybe eight innings. I like, like seriously, throughout that game, I'm thinking, oh man, are we about to get a Zach Granke CGSO? Are we about to get a, a, a Zach Granke CSGO? <laughs> um, but no, 11.1 innings pitch, 2.38 ERA. He's doing it. He's, he's, he's just kind of picking up where he left off last season. Some people had their doubts, but I think that whatever struggles he had last year were just kind of injury related. And then he kind of got over them and he's pretty chill right now he is being chilling so far so that cranky looks pretty good we got a second start from jordan lyles who had a pretty good start 
um, his first time through against the, the against the Minnesota Twins. But then yesterday he pitched and gave up five runs in 5.2 innings, which I'm actually not going to fault him too much because this is a very tough lineup. The, the Toronto Blue Jays are very, very good offensively. They had the highest batting average in the league last year. They were tops in... Uh, slugging and on base, basically everything offensively, they did really, really well. They were the best offensive team in the American League last season. So I'm I'm not going to really get mad at someone for you know not having a good game against this lineup. What's important is that he threw 5.2 innings. Um, Would have been cool if he went for the full six, but he threw 106 pitches. So the Royals definitely worked him as much as they possibly could. So he he still did his job of. Not being a completely terrible pitcher, you know, this is, you know, 5.2 and 5 is a lot better than like 3.1 and and 7 or 8, which is what we saw a lot of last season. So, you know, this is kind of what we expected with Jordan Lyles there. He's not historically he has not been a good pitcher. Sorry to say no, no offense to the guy. He's just been a very, very forgettable, mediocre pitcher who also throws a lot of innings. So he's fine for getting the innings, getting the work done in in a sense, and um, again, not being completely terrible. His ERA for the season is 4.91, which if that holds up, that's honestly about what I would expect. His ERA plus, which is something that kind of um, takes into account the pitcher's entire performance compared to the league average and ballpark conditions, etc. It's 93. Last year it was 91. So this is to say that his uh he's about 10% worse than the league average pitcher. But which, you know, it's not good. Not sugarcoating this. But it's it's not completely terrible. And as long as he maintains a, a, a strong workload, a high workload, then he's done his job. What's interesting, though, is that he struck nine batters on on Thursday. That is unusual for him. Jordan Lyles is not a guy who strikes out a lot of batters. He has a career strikeout through nine rate. As in, he, throughout his entire career, he struck out seven batters per nine innings. So that's pretty interesting. And he didn't give up any walks, which is also really cool. He's not a very high walk guy in general. Career walk rate of three uh, per nine. But this year, it's actually lower. It's 1.6, although only two starts. So maybe that'll change. But... Hey, if he's going to get strikeouts a little bit more and then limit walks even more, then yeah, that's great. That's how you get innings. That's how you get innings in general. You don't walk a lot of guys and you get some strikeouts. Oh, and by the way, Jordan Lyles to this point has a career. Uh, he has thrown exactly, not exactly, sorry. Let me start over. Jordan Lyles throughout his entire career has thrown 1,337.1 innings. He has thrown 13.37 innings. So don't make fun of Jordan Lyles. He is truly elite. There's some there's some 2000s internet humor for you right there. Does, does anyone know what that means anymore? Does anyone know what that means in general? I don't know what my demograph what my demographic is. Who listens to this podcast? And why? <laughs> but a much more promising pitcher who finally got his 2023 debut is Chris. Bubich, who hit, who in, in regards to this rotation, he was probably the most interesting because it's been said that he was the most transformed 
uh, this offseason and the most improved in spring training. Him and I think Daniel Lynch were was another one, but Daniel Lynch is injured, so Chris Bubich got the start. Okay. And Chris Bubich against the Blue Jays. This was on uh this was on Tuesday. He went five innings, two earned runs, and four strikeouts, only one walk, and seven hits. So not like an amazing, not a convincing stat line, but it's something. Although I will say he was looking pretty tired after the fourth inning because he threw 80 pitches to that point, but then he got a very, very quick fifth inning. So that helped him out a lot. And there is something I want to say about that, but let me get to the positives first. Chris Bubich got 14 swings and misses on his pitches, which, yeah, is pretty good. But maybe if the stat line isn't particularly convincing, maybe that's because, again, this is a very, very good lineup. There are other underlying things that are very convincing, particularly the way Chris Bubich is throwing and and what his pitches are at now. His spin and velocity have gone up pretty significantly, like across the board. His fastball last season averaged just under 92 miles per hour. On Tuesday... It was 93.5. His curveball averaged 79.5, where thereabouts, last year. On Tuesday, it was 81.5. And, and then the changeup last year averaged about 80.7 miles per hour. On Tuesday, it was at 83.5 miles per hour. So. Chris Bubich obviously isn't going to be a very high-velocity guy, but he is moving his pitches a little bit more, and also he's throwing them a little bit faster. It's def- it definitely doesn't hurt to be a little faster, to throw a little bit harder, to get a little bit more velocity out of your pitches. In fact, there's a particular metric called Stuff Plus, which sounds like one of the joke things that I would have come up with, like how I call weighted runs created plus work plus. But uh, no, this is actually a thing that baseball academics have come together and agreed upon. They are calling it Stuff Plus. It's a metric that kind of quantifies the quality of a particular pitch. So it's kind of like it's kind of like Work Plus or ERA Plus, which we were kind of talking about. And similar to how those things work, 100 is league average. So if you throw a fastball and it is said to have a 100 Stuff Plus, it's an average fastball. Average compared to everyone else in the league. Chris Bubich's four-seamer in 2022 had a stuff plus of 81. So it was significantly below average as a pitch. This year, in 2023, the four-seam fastball that Chris Bubich threw has a stuff plus of 112. So he went from significantly his fastball went from a significantly below average pitch to a comfortably above average pitch and let's also keep in mind that last year in spring training he brought in a new slider he brought in the cool sleeping the cool the sleeping slider wow he brought in the cool sweeping slider that is becoming more of a thing across baseball and then the royals said don't throw that. You don't need that. Okay. Well, this year he's throwing it. And it grades, it has a stuff plus 
of 119. So I don't know what the Royals were looking at last season. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe it wasn't the exact same pitch as he threw last season. Maybe it was worse last season. But let's, let, let, let me just point out that the Royals said that he shouldn't throw this sweeping slider that is a well above average pitch. So kind of comparing this to other quantifiers like ERA plus. Let's, uh, I've got an e, I got a pitcher with an ERA plus of 118 last year over the full season. It was Johnny Cueto for the White Sox last season. 3.35 ERA, 158.1 innings pitched. Uh, not a lot of strikeouts, but not a lot of walks either, and definitely not a lot of home runs. So that's an ERA plus of 118. So you can kind of, in a weird way, say that Chris Bubich, his sweeping slider is the entire essence of 2022 Johnny Cueto in one pitch. That probably doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but just kind of comparing quality. Let's just say this. It's a good pitch. And so maybe if the stat line isn't particularly sexy from Chris Buba, then it probably will get better against maybe a not-so-fantastic lineup like the Toronto Blue Jays. There is one thing that still concerns me a little bit with Chris Bubich, and it's that when he gets up in pitch count, when he gets to, like, 80 pitches or so, he becomes pretty noticeably gassed on the mound. He starts panting on the mound, and it doesn't help that he's throwing pitches more frequently with this pitch clock. And this was something that I was talking about last year. I was kind of highlighting this last year, and I was just kind of saying I'm not entirely sure about Chris Bubich as a starter because he's not someone that seems like he can reliably go deep into games. But if nothing else, he can be a guy that gives you five quality innings. You'll take that from someone in the back of your rotation. So how good is Chris Bubich actually? I do think that the his I do think that his inability, his stamina, I guess, is something that hinders him. But if he's throwing quality pitches, then he'll be good whenever he does throw. So I do think that he can be. I'm kind of maybe seeing him as someone who might be a reliever like long term, but he can make starts. And whichever role he does fall into, he'll be pretty good at it. I think that maybe he could be a a decent starter or a really, really good reliever. And given that it hasn't been very good for him, he hasn't had a very remarkable career to this point, that's something we'll take. It's a solid improvement. But as the pitching is overall showing some signs of life and seems to be a source of hope for Royals fans and we kind of know who's good, we can also maybe point out some guys that are not so good. And one of them is maybe a bit of an unlikely source because he was very good last year, and that's Dylan Coleman. Dylan Coleman was a great pitcher last year. He was a fantastic late-inning reliever for the Royals last year. But um, there's a, something kind of odd going on, and it's that he's throwing a lot less hard. This season, his four seam fastball last year averaged 97.5 miles an hour. Pretty good. This year, it's averaging 94.3. No. And also, his sweeper that he threw last year, that's down in about three miles an hour in velocity. His slider has gone up two miles an hour somehow, so uh, I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. And this is after multiple outings, by the way. He is he is a, he has appeared on the mound four times, 
for the Royals this season. So it's not like we're, we we got one, maybe two looks at him and notice, oh man, he's not throwing as hard. It's like, no, this is what he's done across four appearances. So that is concerning. That is very, very strange. I don't know. Maybe hopefully he'll be uh, better in the future or maybe he's doing something different. I don't know. I feel like if there was something like physically wrong with him, the Royals would realize that they would recognize that they seem to have recognized that with Richard Lovelady for better or for worse. Although Coleman did have a very good season last year. I don't think he's had such a long career with the Royals where they need to, you know, coddle him and guarantee him a roster spot or anything like that. If they notice something's wrong with him, they'd be like, Hey, something's wrong with you. Go to AAA and fix that. So I don't know, just kind of a look out for Dylan Coleman, because at the moment I'm not watching him take the mound thinking, oh boy, Dylan Coleman's taking the mound. This is going to be great. I'm thinking, oh no, Dylan Coleman's taking the mound. What's going to happen? Is he going to be good or is he going to suck? I don't know. And I shouldn't be asking that about Dylan Coleman. Oh yeah. And I also said that I'd talk more about Brady Singer's start. Uh, I actually don't really have anything to say. Brady Singer was just good. Five innings pitched, one earned run, uh, three walks and three strikeouts, which is not particularly great. But again, this is a very good lineup, so yeah. I'll give him a pass. Only two hits given up, so that's pretty cool. Brady Singer is back. He had a he had a solid debut. Um, just no no comments to make, I suppose. And that about does it for the pitching, which means we now have to talk about the hitting. <sighs> what hitting? Ba 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 ba. Seinfeld baseline. Um, it's not good. As evidenced by the fact that the Royals have won one game and lost six games this season. They've been shut out three times in seven games. It was really three three times in six games. And then they went most of the they went most of the last game. They went most of Thursday getting shut out as well. It wasn't until the eighth inning where they finally put something together and started to score a little bit. Uh man though. It's um it's interesting. And he, the thing is though, I have been saying that the Royals, you know, this is a, this is a lot of young players. A lot of these guys don't even have a full season in the majors yet. So what's going to be interesting more than the actual results game by game is how they respond to failure. Like what happens when things go wrong for them? Because you can't expect everything to go right for this team. Like, I don't know. I'm seeing lots of people give up on this team. And look, if you give up on this team, that's fine. Like if you don't want to watch this team, I, I don't blame you. In fact, I encourage that. I do, And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm not saying, oh, you're not a real fan if, if, if you're not watching every game and every inning, so so like, dude, you're not. You don't have to watch the Royals. You really don't. It doesn't make you a better or worse fan to be watching more games than someone else. It doesn't mean that you care more or less. You should be doing what makes you happy. If watching the Royals does not make you happy, then please, by all means, stop watching them and come back when you feel like you're ready to do that. That's something I started doing last year. Like we got into May or maybe June and I'm just like, you know what? This team sucks and I hate watching it. Even though I was doing this podcast, it was like, I like, I, it's like, I, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep, you know, going out of my way to watch Royals games and then be upset about them. Like it's not doing anything good for me. 
So yeah, I just kind of went my, about my business, sometimes watching the Royals, sometimes not. Sometimes I watch the Royals just simply because I enjoy watching baseball in general, even if it's not particularly good baseball. You know, it's like background noise, and to be honest, I did use the Royals game as background noise on Thursday. I just had it on my second screen, and I was watching my anime on a, on a main screen while eating some lunch. And that was great. And I did a podcast with a friend. Not related to baseball, has nothing to do with this. And then the Royals game was just kind of there, and I'm, I just kind of glance at it every now and then, and I'm just like, eh, pretty bad. So, you know, I moderate the, the Royals fan subreddit, r slash Casey Royals. I, I read a lot of stuff that gets posted there. The pe- people who are just absolutely furious on a, like a, on a deep personal level. And I feel like people like this don't necessarily need the Royals to be good. They don't need the Royals to be winning baseball games in order to be happy. I think that these people just need something to really satisfy themselves with during the day or whenever they're awake and I'm sure that a lot of us think that the Royals are going to do that for us but it's just not a guarantee honestly like if your attachment to to the Royals is how much or how often they win or lose then maybe that isn't something that's truly satisfying you day to day because it's not something that's guaranteed for you so these kinds of people anyone who's like really genuinely upset about the Royals to the point where it's actually affecting their day-to-day lives, and it's worsening their mood overall. Please, I, I seriously, with zero judgment whatsoever, I implore you to find something that does satisfy you during the day. Like, I don't know, go outside and take a walk, read a book, play a video game, watch a good movie or a good TV show. Just take your mind off the royals. I really feel like sometimes you just need to be separated from something that is making you angry even if it's something that you want to like, and I'm not saying that you need to be, you need to like completely divorce yourself from the Royals. You need to burn your Bobby Wood Jr. or your Alex Gordon or your Salvador Perez jerseys. You know, trade off your all of your fan memorabilia. Like, just take a break and then come back to it a little bit later. You might come back to it with a greater appreciation. You might understand it a little bit better. Anyway, I have no idea why I started talking about this. Aside from the fact that I was about to start talking about hitting and how Royals hitting is not very good, which is true. Why did I go on that like deeply therapeutic level though? That was weird. That's just what that's just what Royals baseball does to to somebody. I think that maybe maybe I'm just trying to be a therapist because some of y'all really need one, including me. Okay, but let's let's get serious though. Let's actually talk about. Royals hitting and how bad it is. It's definitely not good. It, it it doesn't just suck. It super sucks. As a team, they are hitting 167. You're wondering if that's the worst? Yes. It's the worst by a significant margin. The next worst team, it's actually a tie for 28th place. It's the Athletics. And the Tigers, who are hitting 201. The Royals are hitting 34 points worse than the, than the second worst teams. Their on base percentage is 259. That is the second worst, only ahead of the Tigers by two points. And their slugging is 278, which is the worst. 
in all of baseball. Only behind the Washington Nationals by 11 points. <sighs> now, we don't have expected stats. Uh, StatCast does, has not provided expecting batting averages for all teams. But we do have something called BABIP, which is batted, bat, batting average on balls in play. Um, which is to say... How, how, how do I explain BABIP? Basically, when you, when, you, when you put the ball in play, and I mean like in play, okay? There's a 30% chance that it will be a base hit, generally. BABIP is 300 across like the entire league, generally, usually. I think the shift kind of lowered that a little bit, but it's expected that 300 is a normal BABIP. If you put the ball in play, 30% of the time it'll be a base hit. Um, you know, the other times it'll probably just be caught by someone. It'll be grounded out to a fielder. It'll be caught in the outfield, etc. Those are pretty common, right? In 2023, so far, the Royals' BABIP is 208. 208, okay? That means it's almost 100 points below not just like average, but like normalcy. As in, this is completely preposterous and shouldn't be happening. Sure, teams can have low BABIPs over the course of the season, but not this low. Last season, the worst BABIP for an entire team was 264. That was the Oakland Athletics. And then in 2020... The Cincinnati Reds had a team BABIP of 245. That was, I believe it's considered to be the, the, the lowest ever across a, a full season. Now, it was only 60 games, but still, everybody played 60 games. Whatever. So if 245 is the lowest you can really expect over an entire season of BABIP, the Royals are still almost 40 per points worse than that. And I really want to emphasize this because this has been some kind of back and forth thing with analysts and the community where people are saying, okay, well, the Royals offense is bad. And then people like me are here to say, hey, guys, look, Royals are 10th in hard hit percentage, which is true. I, that, that's not like a thing I pulled out of my ass. I, I wrote that down. I looked that up. They're 12th in exit velocity. These are really good things. When they hit the ball, they hit the ball really, really hard. And then people say, well, they're not scoring. Hitting the ball hard doesn't automatically mean anything. True, I agree. That's fair. It does mean you're doing something right. It's preferred to hit the ball hard as opposed to hitting the ball softly. Hitting a ball 112 miles an hour to the second baseman, sure, it might be an out, but it's less guaranteed than hitting a ball 92 miles an hour to the second baseman. Th there are no specific rules on how to hit, I don't think, as, you know... Hard hit percentage would tell you, I think. And so would Babbitt. Babbitt would also say that just because you're you're hitting the ball, just because you're putting into play, it doesn't automatically mean that you're, you know, doing something right. But still, a 208 Babbitt is, like, that's impossibly sustainable. It is literally unsustainable. It does not happen. It's not normal. The second lowest Babbitt right now, as of April 7th, 2023, is 231, which is by the New York Mets, in case anybody cares. 
So the Royals aren't just well below normalcy. They're well below the the other bad teams. Like they are in a in a world of their own. They're in another dimension of unluckiness. So that really makes me think it, it continues to make me think the Royals offense is going to turn around. It will because it literally has to. There is absolutely no way that it will continue to be this bad. And if it does, okay, then that is going to be something. That is going to be remarkable. What is the cause of such unluckiness? Why do the Royals have such a low BABIP? To be honest, I don't know. I don't entirely know why these this sort of things happen. But it's happening to the Royals. So just if, if you're looking at the offense and you're saying, hey, this really sucks, then let me just say, it's going to get better. And I don't mean that, you know, it's going to get like a little bit better because if the Royals had a BABIP, even if the Royals had a low BABIP of like 250, 260, even that would make me think, okay, there is something wrong with this offense. It's not good. (laughs) Okay. Because it would say, okay, sure, the Royals are getting unlucky, but they're probably still doing things not so well. If it does regress positively, if it does progress, I suppose, then it's not going to get a lot better. But no, in this case, I'm looking at the BABIP and I'm saying the Royals offense is going to get significantly better than what it is right now, one way or another. Let me give you something else that's maybe a a cool sign of progression. So even though the Royals have a low on base percentage, which makes sense because they don't get on base because they don't get a lot of base hits, they are walking at a rate of 9.9%. You probably have no idea if that's good or not. It's all right. It's pretty good. It's 12th overall across the entire league. Believe it or not, just above the Oakland Athletics. And also above the Atlanta Braves, who are a pretty good team. Last year, the Royals had a walk rate of 7.7%, which is 20th in all of baseball. So they are exercising a, a bit more patience. They are taking walks a lot more than last year, and that's pretty good. That is worth something. Now, I will also admit they have a a strikeout rate of 25.5%, which is the seventh highest in baseball. So that's not particularly exciting. And maybe that's due to some particular prime suspect, some guys who are striking out maybe a little bit way too much. But still... There are signs of actual progress in the Royals lineup, even if it's not reflected in the box scores immediately. When is it going to turn around? That's something I also don't know, but I am going to say it's going to turn around. This is not the best Royal. This is not as good as it gets for the Royals lineup. Although I will say, guys, let me just kind of say, I'm seeing lots of like super hot takes, okay? I'm seeing lots of people say things like, we should fire Alex Zumwalt, our hitting coach. Um, we already fired the hitting coach. We did that last year. We fired Terry Bradshaw and brought in Alex Zumwalt, and things got better from there. I think we can kind of agree with that. Alex Zumwalt is someone who helped, who who quite literally helped to save MJ Melendez's and Nick Prado's careers. Because after 2019, those guys were terrible. They were they had awful minor league seasons 
so bad that it was debated whether or not they were even prospects at that point. And Bobby Witt Jr. didn't necessarily have a, an amazing debut. So they totally overhauled their player development on the hitting side. Alex Zumwalt worked with these guys, and then they all became top 100 prospects. And Bobby Wood Jr. became the number one prospect in baseball, according to some people, not everybody. So keep in mind that this is who you want to fire because the Royals haven't been hitting well in seven games. Uh, I, I think that's a little bit overreactionary, in my opinion. I think that would be a very, very big mistake, but I get it. Things haven't been good. People are looking for answers. People are pointing fingers. The hitting isn't good, so it's, it must be the coach's fault. But actually not really, because we already did all of the management refreshes. We already we already did what was supposed to be done like two years ago. We got rid of Matheny. We got rid of Eldred. We got rid of Dayton Moore. We got, ri we got rid of everybody. So here's the thing, guys. And I, I, I guess maybe this is uh, me being dramatic. I'm going to instill fear into you. Um, if this lineup isn't good, we're doomed. Like, if the Royals lineup isn't good, if this team isn't good, what, what are the Royals supposed to do? What do you think is, like, like, needs to be done to this team to fix it? The players are all super young. They were all highly rated prospects. I mean, not all of them, okay? But they were all prospects. This is like what's coming up out of our farm system. A farm system that took years to develop. Like, if if we're going to complain about MJ Melendez and Nick Prado and get rid of them, those guys were drafted in 2017. It took that long for them to come up to the majors. Kyle Isbell is a 2018 draft guy. Michael Massey is a 2019 draft guy. Nate Eaton is a 2018 draft guy. Like, like who is even in this system that is able to immediately replace anybody we might not like? Like, Michael Garcia? Okay, there's one. Maybe Samad Taylor? Um, my, my guy, the best player of all time, Tucker Bradley, y'all, y'all will see eventually he'll, he'll, he'll have his due, but that's about it. Like this is the wave of prospects that we have been waiting for. This is what the, this is the lineup that we wanted last year when we were shipping out Michael A. Taylor and Andrew Benintendi and Carlos Santana and Whit Merrifield and Hunter Dozier every single game. That's not happening anymore. Okay, Dozier is still here, but whatever. But like, like this is the youth movement that we have been asking for this entire time. This is what we've been demanding for years. This is it. Th this is the young core. And if this core doesn't work, <laughs> then we're just screwed because there is no other core. There is no second wave of prospects that is ready to replace these guys. This is what the Royals have been building for, for the last five plus years. So if these guys aren't going to hit, then we are in like disaster catastrophe mode. Like, I think the way things are, the way things have been going, the Royals can realistically compete in the next two seasons or so. Maybe not this year, maybe not even next year, but 2025, definitely. That has to be a year where the Royals compete. 
But if this lineup isn't good, if we just give up on these guys, then say goodbye to that. It's not another two years of waiting. It's another five years of waiting. It's going to be a very long time because we have to start over completely. So yeah, I'm going to be dramatic about this. I'm going to say, embrace what we have and pray that it'll get better because nobody is coming to save us anymore. We already got what we asked for. So this is it. Enjoy the show. Now, personally, I'm not someone who wants to give up on anybody, really. I'll give up on Hunter Dozier. Uh, can we pick on Hunter Dozier now? Hunter Dozier's hitting 59 this season. 50, 59, like 059, not 590. He's hitting 059. He has six strikeouts in, in 18 at-bats or plate appearances. Sorry. Um, no home runs. His, his one hit, he has one hit and it was a single. Uh, one walk, and he's Hunter Dozier, so he can't field. Um, yeah. What needs to be said about him? I don't know. If there's anybody that the Royals can afford to cut seven games into the season, it's Hunter Dozier, because what, what upside does Hunter Dozier even represent at this point? He doesn't do anything. He literally does not do anything. Like, Hunter Dozier getting better literally means him being, at best, a league average hitter. Which still means he's a below average player because he cannot field for anything. At any position. Anywhere. At any time. Uh, what game was it? It was, um, I think it was on Tuesday. He was actually brought in as a pinch hitter. No, sorry, it was on Wednesday. The scoreless game on Wednesday. He was brought in as a pinch hitter. For Nick Prado, for some reason, I don't know why they did that. Um, and he immediately popped out on the first pitch, to like the shortstop. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a competitive at bat. It was nothing. It was literally, it was literally just waving the white flag. The Royals are just like, here you go. Here, here's the worst hitter in the in the league. Here's literally the worst player in baseball over the last three years. That's just, it's just ridiculous, dude. It's so miserable watching Hunter Dozier play baseball. That is, it's just sad. But there are some other young hitters that are not particularly impressive right now. Maybe they can get better, but some of them are looking like, ugh, really not good. And one of them is Nate Eaton, who is hitless in 14 plate appearances. He is also walkless in 14 plate appearances. He has literally done nothing with a bat whatsoever. He except except strike out. He struck out. He has struck out seven times in the fourteen plate appearances he's gotten. Uh, yeah, that that kind of sucks. Like Nate Eden is not a guy who should be striking out a lot. His strikeout rate last year was about twenty five percent, which even then I would consider that to be a little bit high because he's not he's not part he's not getting on base at a, a lot. He's not hitting for a super high average, and he definitely doesn't have power. So if he's striking out a lot, I feel like like 20% should be the goal for him. Uh, that, that should be where he should be striking out, or the frequency, the frequency at which he should be striking out comfortably. His whatever upside he has as a hitter is not good enough to justify striking out that much. Really what we like him for is his glove, but his glove has not showing up to this season for whatever reason. Like, like it literally looks like he's lost sometimes. There was one 
hit. I don't remember which game it was or what particular circumstance this was, but I remember there was something that was hit a little bit over and away from him, but he like he didn't even get a jump on it. Like he literally just stood there basically as the ball was hit towards him. And then as it went past him, only then did he start going after it. It was like, bro, what are you doing? Like, we, you are here because we think you're such a great defender. We think you're such a great outfielder. I really would like to have Nate Eaton on my roster. I think he's. I think he can be a very good fielder. But that was awful. It was terrible. I don't know what he was doing. And I don't think that was the first or only instance where he's had some kind of a questionable moment in the outfield this season. He's just not been very productive at all this season. So if there's anybody who I think deserves to be optioned when Kyle Isbell comes back. It's probably him. I'm also going to mention Bobby Witt Jr. because there's, you know, lots of debate about Bobby Witt Jr. He hasn't had a great start to the season. He's hitting 154 with a 241 on base. Yeah, he's seen better weeks, I suppose. But I'm not I'm not too worried about him. There's actually something that I found while just kind of looking up some some numbers and some jumbled up nonsense that is a little bit encouraging. I think that it's worth mentioning. So last year, you know, we noticed that Bobby Wood Jr. was really aggressive at the plate, swung a lot. And um, his chase rate, which is to say how often he was swinging at pitches outside of the zone, was 34.7%. I would say I don't actually know what a normal chase rate really is but I would imagine you know if we're complaining about him swinging and missing at a lot of stuff or just swinging too much in general then you know swinging at more than one third of pitches that are outside the zone is probably not a great look generally you don't want to be swinging at pitches outside of the zone because they're outside of the zone you shouldn't be swinging at them so he went from 34.7 last year oh actually hang on before I get move on to that he made contact with 61 percent of the pitches that he chased, which isn't like making contact doesn't automatically mean that, you know, he was getting, he was getting a, a base hit off of them. Just that he put the bat on the ball with pitches. 61% of the time he swung at something outside of the zone. Okay. So this year so far, again, small sample size, but his chase rate is at 27.3%. So it's down more than 7% from last year. And he's making contact with these pitches 73.3% of the time, which is more than 12%. So that's something I want to keep in mind when everybody's talking about how bad Bobby Wood Jr. is, like, oh, he's completely overmatched and he looks lost at the plate. He's doing something a little bit differently. Actually, I would say pretty significantly differently, dramatically different. Well, maybe not that much. I don't know. Whatever. He's doing something differently, okay? He's chasing pitches a lot less. And when he, when, when he is chasing pitches... He's a lot more likely to actually put the bat on the ball. So there is some kind of progress there. Remember, guys, this is a baseball is a lot more about repetition and consistency, I guess. It's a slow burn. It's a slow build. Progress doesn't just happen overnight. This team lost 97 games last season. Even when we called up all of the young guys, it still wasn't particularly great. 
And even if there are things that we can point out about them that they were doing right, like, hey, they actually were pretty good in hitting the ball hard last season. You know, that doesn't automatically mean that they're, they're going to be like a top 10 offense the very next season. It doesn't mean that things are completely fixed with this team right now and that it's automatically going to get a lot better and we should be expecting great things from them. And that's kind of the case with Bobby Wood Jr. You know, Bobby, we obviously we expect him to be an amazing player, but that might not happen overnight. It might not happen this season. He's still a work in progress. He's still super young. I always love to keep in mind Vlad Jr. You know, when Vlad Vlad Jr. was the best hitting prospect baseball had seen to that point, arguably, he was considered to be the best prospect since A-Rod when he came up. And his first two seasons were pretty unremarkable overall. Then his third season, he was amazing. He, He was an MVP candidate. Not everybody can show up to the leagues and be, be Mike Trout. There's only one Mike Trout every so often. So, and I'm sorry that Bobby Wood Jr. is not Mike Trout. He hasn't been Mike Trout yet. But I do genuinely think that progress is being made with him, and I think progress is being made with this team. Even if the record is depressing, and I get it, it sucks. It sucks being 1-6. Like, it would be one thing... If this was just one week in July, you know, it's like, oh man, the Royals had a really bad week. But considering that this is the only week the Royals have played baseball, yeah, it's a lot worse. It seems a lot worse than it maybe actually is. So I don't blame anybody for being overreactionary. I don't blame anybody for being upset. I don't blame anybody for being disappointed. But maybe, you know, let's just kind of wait and see. I think it's too early to make big judgment calls. I think let's let the sample size grow and let's let these normal let, let let's let these numbers settle down and normalize a little bit and so that so that we can actually see what really is going on. And I don't know. If that if all that does happen and the Royals are still losing a lot of baseball games, they start the season like four and twenty, then okay, maybe we do have some bigger issues that we need to be taking care of. But I don't think that they can be diagnosed right away. So I I hope that this discussion will maybe cool some heads, maybe instill a little bit of hope that, hey, it's going to it's going to get a lot better. And hopefully it'll get a lot better really, really soon. And hopefully maybe that'll happen this weekend because the Royals are going to be away from Kaufman. Maybe maybe they just need maybe they need to be away from the empty confides of Kaufman because, man, that stadium is looking sad right now but i don't blame people for not wanting to go to the games uh they're gonna go into a a place that we're all too familiar with san francisco we're gonna be playing the giants our favorite team ever i don't know if they they do have a couple of guys left from that 2014 world series brandon crawford is still there i think he might be the only one though not entirely sure um, so yeah, we're going to have a three game series against the San Francisco Giants for the Royals. We're going to get Brad Keller on the mound on Friday tonight, rather today. Wait, oh, wait, wait, it's today. It's a day game. 335 Kaufman time. Dang. I guess that makes like, what would that be? They're too, whatever. Anyway, so yeah, it's going to be a, a d- bit of a day series. 3 p.m. today and then 3 p.m. tomorrow, 3 p.m. Su- Sunday. All right, that's fine, I guess. Whatever. So anyway, 
We're going to have Brad Keller for the first game of the season, uh, hopefully building on the, the solid start he had on um, Monday or so a few days ago, which was uh, okay. But, you know, we're hoping that Brad Keller will take a big step forward and at least return to what he was well before he started to become a bad pitcher, before he became bad Brad Keller. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll get bad Brad Keller, but like in a complimentary way, like, oh yeah, that's bad Brad Keller right there. You don't want to mess with bad Brad Keller. And then on Saturday, we're going to have Brady Singer on the mound. And then on Sunday, it'll be Chris Bubich. So we definitely have the three most interesting starters that the Royals have in their rotation showing up for this weekend. I think it'll be a very, very interesting series to look at. Meanwhile, the Giants have Alex Cobb starting on uh, Friday, starting today. Alex Cobb, pretty decent pitcher. He's a... Uh, he, he, I actually thought he came from the Orioles organization for some reason, but he actually came from the Rays. Uh, has seems to have, seems to have been dealing with some injuries for a few years, but last year threw about 150 innings with 3.73 ERA, so that's pretty all right. There are no other probable pitchers for this series, though. I'm gonna assume based on the rest of their rotation, it'll be Ross Stripling on Saturday. Is that how you say it? Stripling or Stripling? Whatever. Um, he did not have a very good start in his first game of the season. He went five innings, gave up four earned runs. But last year, he was pretty good. Th pitched 134.1 innings to a 3.01 ERA, which is nice. Although this guy does not throw a lot of innings in general. I don't know if that's like an injury issue or what else. He kind of bounces back and forth between bullpen rotation. So maybe think like, I don't know. Early Danny Duffy, that's what hit this guy is to uh, the Giants, or what he has been for other teams in the past. Like, last year he pitched, pitched to the Blue Jays. All right, so uh, that, I think, is going to be the probable starter for Saturday. And then on Sunday, I think it will be Anthony Desclafani, who has a very angry-looking mugshot on Baseball Reference. I don't know what his deal is. He seems to be a pretty good pitcher. He pitched. He, he, he didn't give up a single run in his one and only start this season. Last year, he didn't really pitch much. Seems like he might have been out with an injury, only pitched 19 innings. But the year before, he went a 167.2 innings with a 3.17 ERA. He was a pretty unremarkable before that. He was a Cincinnati Reds guy and just kind of seemed to fall out of there, fall, of that, fall out of that rotation or that team or organization, whatever. Uh, but, you know, they've got a really good pitching coach in San Francisco, so that seems to be their thing. Just kind of take guys you've never heard of and then turn them into quality starting pitchers. Woohoo. By the way, you know who that pitcher is. You know who, know, you know who that pitching coach is, right? Don't tell me, don't tell me you forgot. <laughs> it's Brian Bannister. Ryan Bannister, Royals legend. That's who's the pitching coach for the uh, for the Giants. Yeah, he's actually a really smart pitching guy, it seems. Anyway, the Giants this season have been really up and down. They're three and three. They also have two. Well, I say they also have, as if the Royals only have two shutout. Uh, as if the Royals only have two shutout losses. Whoops, I forgot they actually have three. But the Giants have been shut out twice this season so far. But on April sixth. Uh, so yesterday they actually beat the White Sox 16 to six, and then a few days earlier they beat them 12 to three. So they've had big offensive, explosive games this season. 
They have a team on base percentage of 368 and a 512 slugging. That's definitely going to come down as the season goes on, but still, they definitely get on base a lot. Uh, last season, they did that pretty well. They were about middle of the road in terms of all of baseball. They were about middle of the road in everything offensive last year, uh, just in general. So they do have, they have a, they have an okay lineup, but their pitching is definitely where they're a lot better, which makes a lot of sense because they play in a very large and weirdly shaped ballpark. So I think that this will be an interesting series for the Royals. We've got our three most interesting, most variable, heavy pitchers pitching for us. And then the they're going up against a lineup that could be interesting, could be exciting. They've been explosive for a couple of games, but maybe in general they're just kind of middle of the road. But our lineup, meanwhile, is going to have to deal with, with their pitching, which we should expect to be pretty good. This will be a very good test for these Royals hitters to show if they really are just getting outmatched or if they're just straight up unlucky. Who knows? But whatever happens, we'll talk about it when we get there. I'll see you on Monday. We'll talk about this series then. And until then, 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 then. I don't know why I'm fumbling on that. What? Now I just got tongue-tied. This is embarrassing. I got to get out of here. Thank you very much for listening to the Royal Deluxe Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you gave it a review or a rating and or a rating on whichever podcast platform you are listening to this on. And I'd even appreciate it if you didn't listen to this podcast. Please send all feedback to me. I am all ears. I am totally open. I'm totally interested in what people think of this. You can also tell me directly at Royal Deluxe Pod. That's for the podcast Twitter where I talk about baseball a little bit more than my actual Twitter, which is at VMFNKC. That's for other real world nonsense, I suppose, whenever I remember to use it. And any further inquiries can be sent to royaldeluxepodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you anywhere, anytime. Thank you for making the Royal Deluxe Podcast a part of your day, and I hope you're having a good one. Have a good weekend, everybody. I'll see you on Monday. And until then, I'm Lux, and go Royals. Outro music. <laughs>